0: Well Hi everybody. it's Kevin Stevenson. You joined me on "I don't Care with me," Kevin Stevenson. Uh, thanks for joining us today. Today's guest is Dr. Henry Buckwald. Uh, Dr. Buckwald is the uh, professor emeritus of Surgery and Biomedical Engineering at the University of Minnesota, and his latest book is called "Health Care Upside Down: A Critical Examination of Policy and Practice." Uh, Dr. Buckwald, welcome to I don't Care. My pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely, you've got some uh, some pretty interesting thoughts, and I can't wait to delve into them. Uh, according to you, uh, you feel that healthcare in the U.S. has become an expensive, impersonal system that is not serving the best interests of either the nation or the people it purports to heal. So let's just jump into this. So, how do we measure good and bad healthcare?
1: In this book, I mean, I finally got motivated to write this book from my 50-some-odd years giving health and seeing what I thought was a golden age. You can always make progress. It was a golden age for health care, and we were making progress. And I think we've gone very much, not even back, but into a, a world that's new and isn't uh, so, how do you measure? Well, there, there are about 14 international uh, statistical measurements of healthcare. And in the first chapter, I've got 14 chapters. And in the first, I go over the statistics. And let's say the main statistic is life expectancy. Well, our life expectancy in the United States is well below every Western country in Europe, in New Zealand, Australia, Canada. Uh, We have about a life expectancy of a third world country. We have the lowest rating for diseases that could be curable. And all these other nations, the group of European nations, all do much better. So uh, that, and, and there are 14 uh, uh, different kinds of statistics that bear this out. So that's why I say healthcare is upside down. It, it's it's shown, it's shown my numbers. And uh, the only statistic where we are a world leader is in cost. Seventeen percent of our gross national product goes to healthcare. The closest nation is Switzerland with eleven percent, and they do so much better in every category of measurement.
0: Dr. Buckwald, I mean, obviously with with your vast uh, experience, what's your opinion? Why why is it that our uh, life uh, our average lifespan is so much lower than, than most of the other developed countries in the world?
1: Well, uh, putting aside uh, the rash of, of gun-related incidents we've had and putting aside the lowering of everybody's life expectancy with COVID, if you look at the data just before COVID, uh, it is lower. So you ask Why? Well, it's because I think our healthcare care system has deteriorated. Uh, we are no longer centered on the patient. Uh, we have taken healthcare care and made it into a business. And it follows a business model. And the business model serves the keepers of the business, the administrators of the business. It doesn't serve the actual performers of the business, the doctors and the nurses. And it certainly doesn't serve the person who is paying for it in every means possible, the patient, which is all of us. So if you look at, well, you know, you remember the George Orwell book, 1984. And he very well showed that language precedes actuality and language influences actuality. So we now use a different language. For instance, you no longer talk, or at least the hospitals and insurers no longer talk about patients. They talk about clients. And uh, we don't go to a hospital or a clinic or to an office, a doctor's office. We go to a firm. and. We as physicians, you and I, uh, we are no longer doctors. We are providers. Uh, You know, we're like the guy who sells ice cream or something. We we provide commodities. We don't provide a profession, a calling. Uh, The doctor-patient relationship has been destroyed. Uh, A patient no longer has a doctor, really. Let us say, and this happens every day, uh, let's say in my field, in surgery, patient has an operation. Two or three days later, he's worried about something, as pain or as bleeding or something, and he calls the office, which is now the firm, and wants to speak to his surgeon. And they say, oh, well, um, Dr. So-and-so can't speak to you for two months but we will connect you with Dr. So-and-so, because he has an open slot. And the administrators want to fill that slot. That's good business. Whereas the surgeon, he's got to be in the operating room making more money for the firm. So they don't give him the surgeon. So the patient doesn't have a doctor anymore. He has no one to put his trust in. And on the other hand, On the other side, the so-called provider, former doctor, has no patient with whom he feels uh, responsibility. It's probably the best word. I'm responsible. I take care of you. And so when a doctor says my patient, which they no longer can say, he's not saying a possessive thing. He's saying I'm responsible. I'll take care of you, that's my job. And maybe job's the wrong word, because today people, instead of having a profession of medicine, have a job. I interviewed our former surgical residents, we graduate six a year, and they all had jobs. They all worked for a hospital. They all got a salary. They had their time off. They didn't work in the evening. Uh, If something happened to their patient, some hospitalist took care of them and told them in the morning. It's a dissociation from the doctor-patient relationship, and I think that's the basis of it. So who who is responsible? It's it's the business administrators. Uh, Our hospitals are in huge units. Uh, Nobody has a hospital anymore. They have a series of hospitals. And everybody works there. there Except for rural medicine, uh, people are employees. They're all employees. You don't go to a hospital as in the old days. A doctor has rights at a hospital and uh, operating rights, seeing rights. Today, no. The hospital owns them. He's an employee. So where is the fault? Well, the fault is, is we've given all, up everything to the administration of hospitals of clinics of pharmaceuticals of medical instrumentation it's all built now on a business model and that's why i say it's upside down it should be built so that the solution is there and not the administrator
0: and, and you know dr buckwald i i certainly see what you're saying and, and- you know, you, you're talking to somebody who's been in hospital administration for about 34 years now. So, uh, you know, and and you make a good point about uh, the physicians today. Uh, you know, we're finding difficulties in recruiting physicians unless we do employ them, and and even in that regard, whenever we're interviewing potential uh, physicians to uh, to come to our community, and, and honestly, we wouldn't much. Per- you know, prefer not to have to employ physicians, but, you know, I, I don't mean this to be disrespectful. Most physicians are not great businessmen. And so they're looking to somebody else to to help them run their practice. And so, you know, uh, physicians come to us saying, you know, the very entrepreneurial ones say, well, if, you, if you'll provide me with a, say a two-year income guarantee, uh, which is more palatable to us, we, we will certainly say yes, but 95% of physicians that we're recruiting to talent are saying, Hey, we want you to employ us because uh, they want, they want a different quality of life than physicians of, of your era. Uh, you know, they, they want to be employed because they, as you said, they don't want to see their patients at night. They don't want to be responsible for those patients at night. And they're willing to, to turn that responsibility over to hospitals. Um, and so, you know, it's it's one of those situations that, you know, I think I think all sides have have, have moved towards this towards this physician employment model for various reasons. You know, uh, so yeah, you know, and we also we've also had a lot of uh, a lot of discussions around the the generational changes in physicians as well. Uh, long gone are the days, you know, uh, of people like like yourself who. You know what? You took care of patients. You took care of them 24-7. And now, as I said, we're seeing physicians almost want to work that 40-hour work week. You're right. And in my day,
1: uh, you know, I'm not condemning administrators as a class. Uh, but in my day, the administrators facilitated the work, the doctors. And the doctors did, and the patients were the recipients of everyone's. And you're you're right. I mean, today, for those residents that I interviewed, they didn't want to be independent. They wanted a job. So uh, if the administration has taken over the responsibility, uh, Uh, And uh, doing the paperwork and and, uh, the billing and and all that, and the physicians and nurses want to work certain hours and they don't want to come in at night, they're all, in my opinion, equally guilty of lowering the standard of health care. So who actually uh, suffers from that? It's the patient. And we're all patients. And that includes medical personnel, and that includes the uh, administrator. Sooner or later, we all end up as patients. You know, I've been fairly healthy all my life. And uh, in 2016, and I, I used to ride a lot of horses, and uh, I, I was sort of an amateur cowboy. I would go on roundups. I never had been thrown. I was thrown by a horse in 2016, spent 33 days in the hospital. I had 11 broken ribs, uh, lost blood, I had a displaced lung. Uh, I was a patient. And uh, I was in two different areas of the hospital. I was in, and it was a hospitalist's hospital. I was in one area, which was the intensive care unit initially, and I never had a doctor. Every day somebody else showed up, and then I went into rehab, and it was a superb rehab because there was an old-fashioned guy there like myself, with a st- staff that really did a lot and did it for the sake of the patient. So I guess my appeal is is not to say all doctors are good and administrators are bad. Uh, my appeal is that we're all patients and we all deserve better, and. Uh, and we're all paying for it. Uh, I, you know, I don't think the average United States citizen realizes they pay for all of healthcare one way or another.
0: You're exactly right about that. People don't understand that you know how much they're paying for healthcare. Yeah, and I and I think people are moving towards that a little bit more. But you know, as you're fully aware. You know, as a as a hospital our number one customer is also our number one payer you know the 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 federal government you know medicare recipients are coming in they're seeing us and then medicare pays us a fraction of what of what we uh of what it costs for us to provide those services right and you know we we
1: talk a lot about uh socialized medicine uh, you know, I, I'm not in all for socialized medicine. There, m- there must be another alternative. But I don't know how many Americans know that 60 to 65 of all of medicine in this country is socialized. And that includes the armed services, and I'm a veteran, uh, the armed services, Medicare, medical assistance, a good part of Obama here, uh, the Indian Health Service. Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. And the VA, of course, it adds up to about 60, 65 percent. Fits the definition of socialized medicine. It's government supported. Well, where does the government get the money? They get it from taxes. And that which isn't government supported is supported by individual health policies. People buy health policies. But that isn't enough yet. If you go and you have a health policy and you pay your taxes. And then you go see your physician. the first thing you do is you see an accountant who says, uh, "We have a copayment for you, and before we'll before we'll let you see anybody, we need your check for copayment so it's the public that pays for their health care, and I think if they knew they could get better, uh, they would say something, and they would say something through uh, whatever avenues they have uh, to go to our politicians, to go to our media, to go and, and say, listen, we could do better.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, there are, you know, there are some avenues to do that. Uh, you know, a number of my physician friends have, have gone into concierge medicine. And, and so that's one way that, that the patient can, uh, can uh, voice their opinion with their pocketbook and getting that specialized care uh you know there are some hospitals out there that are only taking cash pay now you know they're not taking uh health insurance and so there are some options out there but' they're, you're right they're very limited so you know how is it you know in your opinion how how is commi- communication between the doctors and their staff uh with the patients continuing to to deteriorate uh, if you today call a doctor's office
1: first of all you speak to a robot and a robot gives you another robot after he tells you to call nine one one and go away and so then you speak to another robot and eventually you get a totally disinterested person who is an interrogator uh, where were you born what do you want etc and so on it takes a long time to speak to anybody and then as a rule uh, and I say it as a rule, meaning that the majority of the time, and I, I guess you as an administrator should hear this, is the majority of the time the patient says, well, your doctor cannot see you for the next two months, but we have an open slot for Dr. So-and-so, and we'll put you in there. Uh, you know, in, in terms of modern life and the administration thereof, the virtual interview, has been great because it can increase uh, this rapport. Uh, today, you don't really need often to uh, be in the office. You can do what we're doing now. And and uh, that can help a lot. It could save money. Uh, and And it could be very helpful to people. But so... I don't think a patient today feels they have a doctor. Um, And for instance, give you another example. Uh, A relative of mine had to have a hip replacement. Well, we were there at the beginning, and uh, the the surgeon did not come in before. Anesthesiologist came in, nurse came in, and so on. Uh, the surgeon was in the operating room. He he was too busy to come in because he had to go from room to room. And so then after the case, the surgeon still didn't come in. And the next day, the patient was on the way out, the patient, the surgeon came and gave a five-minute, everything went well. That does not build rapport and a relationship.
0: Yeah, no, I, I definitely see what you're saying there. And I think that, you know, that, that varies between facilities and, and, frankly, communities. You know, I'm in a, in a relatively small community, about 175,000 people in Central Texas. You know, I can, I can assure you that our surgeons, you know, when, once they're finished with the surgery, they're going out, they're the ones going out and talking to patients. But if you look at large academic medical centers, or I will say the for-profit side, you know, you, you have l- a little bit less of that. Uh, you know, I, uh, I went in and shadowed a a physician years ago that was at a hospital in Florida who, he was an orthopedic surgeon and and did exactly what you said. He, he went room to room to room to room, uh, doing uh, knee replacements. He had like 10 in a row and, you know, he had, he had somebody coming in, opening for him. He went in 20 minutes, boom, boom in out. He's in the next room while, you know. Is uh, his guys closing things up. And, and so there was no way that he had time to go out after each individual surgery to talk to the family, say, Hey, you know, your loved one did okay. Or, you know, we've got some complications or whatever, you know, that was left to somebody else could have been left to, you know, uh, a, a PA or, or a, a nurse or whomever. Uh, but I think, I think that's just specific to locale. You know, I know, you know, in, in various systems that I've been in, you know, there are certainly variations between hospitals as far as practice goes, but uh, but I, I think what you're saying kind of lends itself more to either uh, again academic medical centers for profits or hospitals who are frankly short-staffed from a from a physician and surgical standpoint that that they have to go room to room to room just to see all the patients because. You know, they just don't have, they don't have the backup.
1: I agree. The hospital that I uh, mentioned is one of our leading medical centers in the United States. One of the largest, most famous medical centers in the United States. When I was still doing active surgery, I came in and saw all my pre-ops before they went to the hospital. I saw their families post-op while they were still in the recovery room, maybe not quite awake. I saw them all when they woke up. And in the evening before I went home, I made rounds and saw them again. And uh, that's missing. That's missing, that touch. And it may not be missing in your institution. but I think I can assure you it's missing in a great number of the famous named institutions in our country. Sure.
0: Now, do you think that, is that is that being taught and directed in medical schools now? Well, medical schools are becoming
1: more and more aligned uh, with this kind of philosophy. I, 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 don't, I don't think uh, that medical schools are exempt from this changing kind of perspective. Um and, and when you speak about costs, uh everybody pays for medical schools too. Certainly the parents or uh people who go to medical school pay an enormous amount for their education, but that's not enough. The government pays, so taxes pay, taxes pay for it from every state institution, so state taxes federal taxes uh, all that pays for medical schools so every citizen pays for the education of their doctors and therefore you can say I'm paying for this guy's education he can have the courtesy to come out and speak with
0: me
1: absolutely
0: you know and, and I and I certainly agree with you on that yeah and uh, yeah but I think another big issue and we kind of touched on it is this the fact that The expectation over the next five to seven years is that we're going to lose about one hundred and seventy five hundred and eighty thousand physicians out of the workforce. And and so, you know, we're blessed to be in larger locales that have, you know, for the most part, adequate coverage. Uh, I will say even in a town of our size, we're lacking in some subspecialties. But for the most part, we have ad- adequate coverage. You know I think about my friends out in West Texas in smaller communities where you know there may not be a physician within 20, 30 miles. Uh, you know I, I've run across a few counties in, out in West Texas that don't even have a physician. And so how do, you know that's a huge part of all of this. How do we entice people to, to enter the, the medical field again, whether it be as a physician, as a nurse, or as a tech or whatever, you know, that's something that we're facing uh, across the board is just the overall lack of nursing. Uh, you know, 800,000 have left the marketplace uh, just since the pandemic, and even more so are expected to leave over the next few years. You know, back in the day, I, I might be just a, t- a touch younger than you, but back in the day, you know, being a physician, being a nurse, there were very honorable professions that people are lined up to try, you know, to try to do. And, and now uh, I'm afraid that our young people have found out, you know what? Healthcare is hard. You know, uh, you know, whether you're a physician or a nurse or I'll trust me an administrator, it's hard now, you know, it, it's always been hard, but it's really hard now. And, and so how do we entice young people and, and even, you know, second careerists to look at healthcare as a potential uh, as a potential career?
1: Let's look at the facts. Uh, in my day, and I'm older than you, in, in my day, uh, we had a lot of people. Medical schools could never accommodate the number, and as you said, it was a uh, and. So, what has happened since then? Well. We've gone from the days of the personal doctor-patient relationship, responsibility being in the hands of the actual performers of health care, you know, all the things we've talked about. We've gone to the place, no night call, uh, fixed vacation time, etc. and so on. Administration has provided all these and Look at the result. you got less people wanting to do this. So maybe, maybe by robbing the right number of people in the world who say, I want to be a physician, I want to be what used to be known as a healer, I have a calling. And that means I may not spend as many hours with my children or on the golf course But this is what I long to do. And because they say, well, it's a job. And I can make more money maybe being a a plumber. So that's a job too. And plumbing is an honorable profession. And so by changing the menu, medicine is like, by offering perks, uh, what's happened is people don't want to go into it anymore. Maybe the idea is to bring back the spirit that used to exist and maybe more people will want to go into it. Oh, and the other thing is, this is very important, is paperwork. Uh, The doctor today spends, uh, for instance, when I had clinic, I would see my patients and I would try to spend my time with my patients. But that meant after clinic, I had to sit and put, uh, work with the computer. And, uh, people don't go into medicine to, to work with computers. Uh, something has to be done about all the paperwork that has to take place. Certainly, the record system is wonderful because you can look at x-rays at home. You, all these things are facilitatory, but at the same time, they're time-consuming. And when the rules say the doctor must write this, the doctor must write that, the doctor says, "I don't
0: want to do this. This is not what I
1: signed up for."
0: Well, I, I would, I would wholeheartedly agree with you, Dr. Buckwalter, on that because uh, the paperwork, the the onerous paperwork that that everybody in healthcare has to deal with, uh, is is stifling and and uh i've heard that very same thing from physicians and nurses here locally you know we didn't get into this uh, into medicine to to be paper pushers but uh, unfortunately that's kind of that's kind of where we are today because of the impact that the federal and state government has on on health uh so well uh dr buckwald i just want to say thanks so much i i love uh talking to you and hearing your perspective, somebody of your experience, uh, you know, brings uh, you know such such great information to the table that that unfortunately I don't think we hear enough about anymore. And so with that, I just want to say thank you. So, so hey, uh, folks, uh, that was Dr. Henry Buckwald, uh, professor emeritus of surgery and biomedical engineering at University of Minnesota. Uh, look for his latest book, "Healthcare Upside Down: A Critical Examination of Policy and Practice." Uh, I'm going to be reading. I just got my copy. I look forward to to, uh, diving into it. And Dr. Buckwall, thanks again for being on. I don't care.
1: Thank you, Dr. Stevens. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure talking with you. It's always good to exchange ideas. And and my last word to you is you're the administrator. Be the lead administrator in bringing us back to the doctor-patient relationship because you guys can do it. You've got the power. Thank you, thank, thank you too. so
0: much. That that's that's a significant charge that I that I will accept. So, Dr. Buckwell, take care, everybody. That's another episode of I Don't Care with me, Kevin Stevenson. Look forward to seeing you on our next episode. Take care.